All right, good morning, everybody. If you can uh, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 2 with me. And we're going to read the first seven verses. Let's read. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we pray, God, that, that we are not here, God, just to hear a word, God, or to, to do our Sunday, God, but we are here to be changed, God. We pray that the Holy Spirit is here right now working in each one of us, God, that, that the, the things that I say, God, is not coming from me, but, Lord, it is the Holy Spirit in me communicating to the Holy Spirit in you. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave here, God, that, that we will be changed people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um. When I first started to think about what I was going to what I was going to speak about today, it totally changed from what I had planned all week until yesterday. So I changed the topic of what I was supposed to be teach, talking about yesterday. Um, so I really think that you guys are going to be blessed today. I really pray that you have like an expectation of of being challenged because once I saw this, I was like immediately challenged. And this is what caused me to change what I was going to speak about. What I was going to speak about was the things that God's been teaching me in my life. Um, at work, we have, which is actually turned into counseling sessions, but it was just supposed to be training for us as staff members. If, if you don't know, I'm uh, with Bethesda Mission Youth Center. Um, we've been having these uh, every week. We'll, have, we'll come together, and we've been doing a study on this, the love of the Father. And ended up turning into, like, counseling sessions for each other. Um, but... What I've been learning about the love of the Father is just that sometimes we, we put the love of our earthly father, whether we knew him or we didn't, or whether he was a good father or a bad father, and we put those expectations on the God, thinking God's going to react the same way. And so I was all prepared to come and been working all week on, you know, this is what I'm going to give to you guys. I want to give you guys and share with you what God's been teaching me, and that's the love of the Father. And so uh, what I like to do is I like to look up a bunch of different uh, pastors and you know, uh, commentators to see what they have to say on the subject just so I can try to see it from a lot of different angles. And I came to one, and they had their daily devotional up on their website, and it came up, what kind of church am I? And so, like, I just went through and I read it, and as I read it, I was really, like, God really stepped on my toes uh, as I was going through it. And so this was one of those things where it was like, I think, I, I really felt as though this is what God wanted to give to the church, so all that time preparing, 
was for nothing because I changed it yesterday. So um, as we get into it, the first question I'm going to ask is, what does Christ think of your church? Think about that for a minute. If I ask you that question, what does Christ think of your church, what would your answer be? And see, immediately when we, if I ask that question, immediately we start thinking about Garden Chapel and this local assembly here. We start thinking about this building and things that are in this church. And I, I actually asked some people this question, and here are some of the answers um, that I got. was, you know, I love my church, or I wish we did this here, or... You know, our church is good, but some of the people get on my nerves. Or I'm here because my parents went here, and so I just keep going here. And we could be better, or um, we're improving, or I don't know. You know, some of the responses I got. But if you, rem- if you think about the responses that came here, it had nothing to do with what Christ thought of the church. It's always what we thought of the church personally and of their respective church. So the question changed from not what did Christ think of your church, is what did you think of the church, and that's how people answered it. And then, so as I was looking at some of the answers, not like it was only one one person that had it was like I love everything about my church. Everybody else said, well, there's something, you know, there's this, and you know, there here's this here, and this this is this here, you know. And it's kind of funny because um, I went to a marriage conference a couple years ago, and uh, one of the things they they did is uh, they had this you know big white sheet of paper, and it had a couple of black dots on it, you know, but the, the paper was mostly white and only had a little couple of black dots. And they said, well, what do you see here? And our answer was, there's some black dots on the paper. You know, even though the paper was mostly white, we, we went and picked out the little itty-bitty things that, you know, that we saw on the paper. And it was kind of, there was the illustration of, you know, in a marriage, a lot of times when we look at our spouse, we forget about all the good and we only pick out the bad. And, and so the same way, like, I can see that in us as we're looking at our church, but another thing to think about, too, is if that's our look at the church, and this is based on our standards, how much, st- how much more is the standard of Jesus Christ higher than ours? And so if we look at our church in a, in a way that's, well, you know, this could be better or things like that, how much more, you know, would Christ think that uh, we can be better? So the question I, um, we have to follow up then is if we think negatively, if we have some negative views of our church, how do we change it? What do we do about it? And so that's the question I have. So for an example, um, there was a movie that was put out in 2005. It was called Hide and Seek. Um, it was with Robert De Niro. It was the father and Dakota Fanning, and she was um, his daughter, and she played in a movie. And um, I was looking up like just how to put it all together just to give you an overview of what the movie is about. And so this, it says this here. David Calloway, which was Robert De Niro, a psychologist practicing in New York City faces a difficult task. He must work through the trauma of his wife's suicide while helping his 10-year-old daughter, Emily, deal with her own grief. He decides that moving to a new town will help her by removing the reminders of her past. But not long after they move into that big house in a small town in upstate New York, Emily starts mentioning a new imaginary friend, Charlie. David believes that this might be Emily's way of working through the issues surrounding her mom's death. But then mysterious things begin to happen around the house, and Emily begins to act strangely. Soon the strange events turn deadly. Emily insists that Charlie is to blame for everything. So is Charlie real? Is he Emily's alter ego? Will David be able to save his daughter? Unfortunately for him, the mystery goes far deeper than he commanded. So that was the write-up of the movie, so I guess you an overview of what the movie is about. 
and I'm going to have a, I'm going to spoil the movie for you because, I, I mean, I'm not recommending that anybody goes and sees it. But I'm going, to spoil, I'm going to spoil the end for you is that at the end of the movie, Charlie ends up being David, the father. And so he's going around, he's trying to help his daughter and thinking, you know, that she's got some weird thing going on. But he's the one that has the problem. He's the one that's doing all the strange events. He's the one that's, you know, that's doing the murder and stuff like that. He's the one that has the alter ego. And he's thinking it's all his daughter. And the reason why I bring that up is, goes back to that question of how do we change it if we look at our, our local body, we look at Garden Chapel, and we see those spots on the paper and we think things are, are not right or we could be better. But as we go back to the change, how can we change it? You see, we change it not by trying to change the church overall as like this body. We change it by changing our individual church. See, each one of us here is an individual church. You are a church. You're a believer. You are a church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You have your own individual church. So if we are to change this, this local body of Garden Chapel, we have to want to change our individual church first. And so that's what has to be changed. Just like the father who is always looking out at his daughter and trying to solve this mystery of Charlie. No, his focus was in the wrong place. His focus should have been trying to fix him. And then that would have changed things. So if we're going to change this overall body, we need to change us specifically. John 4, 21 to 24 says this, and this is Jesus um, talking to a woman at the well. He says, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans um, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now bring that up because when, when Christ is talking to her, he was saying true worship isn't at a place anymore. True worship isn't you know, on this mountain or that mountain or at this church or another church. He's saying true worship starts with us individually. Remember, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember the temple in the Old Testament. That's where they did, they did sacrifices and they worshiped God, and that's where the place where God dwelt. Now it's us individually. And so if that's us individually, the way that we change this whole local body is us individually. This is where true worship happens. So if true worship is going to happen at Garden Chapel in this place, then true worship must first happen in us for that to happen. So the answer to that question is, how do we change um, how our view of what we think is wrong with the church? And that the view is, well, we need to change ourselves individually first. Our individual church needs to be changed. And so as we look in Revelations 2 and 3, um, this is where, where, um, where John is, God tells John to write a letter to the seven churches. And as we look at these seven churches... I want you to see where you fit in as one of these seven churches because I kind of broke them up and I gave them names as what kind of churches that they are. And I believe that we all can fit ourselves into one of them. I have my own. I'll tell you from the beginning, the first church, the church of Ephesus, the reason why I um, read that passage at the beginning, because I felt though that's where I identified with. And so we're going to do that one last because we're going to end and spend time with that because I feel that's the one I fit in with. That was my, low, my individual church was the church of Ephesus, and that's where I tend to fall. And so we're going to look at the other churches, 
and we're going to see where does your individual church fall into place. Which one of these seven churches is your individual church? And as you look at the breakup of it, there's, as he talks to these seven different churches, out of these churches, there's only two churches where, where, where a God is saying, you're, it's, it's mostly just good things about. There's one church where it's only bad things about. And then there's four churches where it says, this is good, but I have this against you. So as we, as we look into it, I want you to, as we're reading through, I want you to really take the time and really think, which church are you? And so let's start in uh, Revelations 2, verses 9 and 10. In this first church, I call it the persecuted church. And it says this, I know your works, the tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you might be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. God is to persecute a church for this reason. Because there are some of us in here, we can look at our lives, and it says, and God is saying, I know your works. I know the things that you are doing. But I also know your tribulation you're going through. I know the poverty. But our, our, our focus isn't on that. It's the focus is on, but we are rich because we know we're rich in heaven. And there are people who are out to get us, whether it's in a job, whether it's in our family. There's people who are just persecuting us because of our faith. But these ones says God is telling them, be faithful until death. So this first church is a church that's gone through a whole lot of hard things, but they're still faithful through it. And so you can ask ourselves that question. Are you the persecuted church? Are you, are you having a whole lot of hard things going on in your life? Do you have these things coming and coming and coming and people are against you, but you're still faithful through it? That's an example of one of the good churches. A church that's going through hard times but still able to make it through. The second church, I call it the American church. And that starts in Revelations 2, 13 through 16. And it says this. <clears throat> I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have, you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put the stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat sacrificed idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is called the American church, the church that settled into the world. Because it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Turn back to 2 Timothy 3. And Pastor John has been, well, it was just um, in Timothy in the Good News service. And one of these things uh, came to me in 2 Timothy. In um, 3, 1 through 5, it's, well, 3, yeah, 3, 1 to 5, it says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Is that America right now? Is that the place where we live? We can look around on TV. We can look out on the news. We can look everywhere else. And people are lover than themselves and money, 
kids are disobedient to their parents, people are unthankful, no self-control. That is the world we live in. That's the America that we have. That's why I call this the American church, because God says, I know where you dwell. See, there's a lot of Christians who dwell in this place where Satan's throne is at. Satan's throne is over America. And we say that he knows where we dwell. And he says, but a lot of Christians haven't denied his name. Yeah, we call ourselves Christians. We don't deny that we are Christians. But he has this against you. And he says, the thing I have against you is that you hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Is that we are settled into this world. We are so comfortable in America that we are just settled in there. And that we are just a part of the culture and part of everything. Else. We're not set apart. We hold to the doctrine of America. And this is what he's saying. Are, we, are you, can you individually, are you the American church? Where yes, we, we call ourselves Christians, but we're settled into the world. <coughs> Excuse me. The next one is Revelations 2, 19 to 20. I call this the no standard church. And this is a church that doesn't stand up for the truth. Revelations 2, 19 through 20. It says, I know your works. You have love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual morality and to eat things sacrificed to the idols. This is the church without a standard. Um, during my, my time with Bethesda Mission, I've learned a bunch of different philosophies of the Christian life. And one of those philosophies is God is all love. God is love, and so I don't need to stand up for any kind of standards. And so just love, love, love everybody. If you're doing wrong, it's okay. I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to go to my friend and say, you know, you really got, you're really doing this, and you really need to stop. You know, just going to them and just telling them truth, standing up for the truth, what is right, what is good. But this philosophy is saying, no, God is just love. He's not going to punish anybody. We shouldn't judge people. We can't say anything to anybody. If that's their sin, that's their sin, and blah, 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 and keep going on. That's the no standard church. And the thing, thing about this church is God's saying, I know your works. You have love. You have faith. You know, you have service. You're patient. You do all these good things. Yes, God is love. God is all those things. He wants us to do all these things. He wants us to forgive and show mercy and to do all these different things. But... Why do you allow, he says, but he has this against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to lead people astray. Why do we not stand up for the things that are right? That could be your church. You're that church that I just want to love anybody. I don't want to have any kind of problem with anybody. I don't want to hold anybody to any kind of standard because, you know, God is love. Is that your church? We can't be that. God says, I hold that against you. If you don't stand up for the truth. <clears throat> the next church is the dying church. And that's in Revelations 3, 1 to 4. And it says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works and that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, you will not watch, and I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even as artists, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. This is the dying church. And you see, this church isn't completely dead. It's just on its way to being dead. 
And this is the church that's having a good reputation but has no power. You see, a lot of people, we can look around, and I can, we can look around, and we can just think, you know, this person is a godly person, that person is a godly person, based on reputation, based on things you have done in the past. But right now, you're dying, you're spiritual, you have no power, you have no influence in your Christian life, and we're just dying. Is that your church, that you have a good reputation, but you're really dead spiritually inside? You have no connection with God just based on who you are. If I could say this name, it's like, oh, yeah, he's a good, powerful person, but show me the fruits. There is no fruit. Examine yourself. Is there fruit in what you're doing? Are you the dying church that has a good reputation, but there's no fruit coming from it? And see, you're not completely dead because God says there's still a remnant. So there's still a remnant in you. There's still a little bit of a connection with God in you, but it's, it's fading. It's getting lower and lower each time. Is that you? Are you that dying church having a good reputation but have no power? The next one is the church of revival. That's in Revelations 3, 8 to 10. And Pastor John talked about revival uh, two series ago at the Good News Service. And, you know, what he was saying, revival is that, you know, to revive is a flat line, but revival is working on its way to God. And this is what God says about this church. It says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. You have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to preserve it, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Are you the church of revival? This is the church that's going hard after God. You see, this isn't the church that's perfect. This isn't the one that has no problems at all, that doesn't have any specs on that paper. This is the church whose heart is after God. When God, when, um, God talked about David, he said he was a man after his own heart. And it was because he was going hard after God. David made plenty of mistakes in his life. If anybody knows the life of David, he made plenty of mistakes. But his heart was after God. And so as you look at yourself, are you the church whose heart is 100% always after God? I'm just going hard after God in everything that I do. This is another example of just a good church. A church that's just going hard after God. Yes, you have your mistakes, but your life and everything on it is going hard after God. All every moment, all the time. That's the church of revival. And then another church is the lukewarm or dead church. And this is a church that's just going through the motions. And this is in Revelation 3, 14 to 18. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, uh, I can't even say that name, Laodiceans, right. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I will counsel you to buy from me my gold, me gold refined in a fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you might see. This one, he says, I know your works, and you're neither hot nor cold. Are you the church that's just going through the motions? I come here on my Sunday because we go to church on Sunday, and I'm just here. And I'm not even for or against. I'm just here. Just going through the motions because this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is what people expect of me, or I don't know. I just like church. Are we spiritually just going through the motions? 
Are we that dead church? Your individual church is dead. And so this last one, I left last, and it's going back to the beginning, because this is, I labeled it the Andre Church. And I labeled it the Andre Church because, like I said before, this is where I tend to lie. And I think a lot of Christians tend to find themselves. We might be in those other ones, but this is where I find myself, and this is where a lot of people might find themselves. So look at, I'll back, go back to Revelations 2, 2 to 6. And so this is the Andre Church. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labor for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Sounds pretty good right now. And here's verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so as I look at that, and as I was looking, this is the one that really stepped on my toes. And the reason why I stepped on my toes is because I can look at, I can look at my life and I honestly, objectively can look at me. And it says, you know, God saying to me, yeah, I see your works, your labor, your patience, and, and that you can't bear with those who are evil. You know, you have tested people who said they are apostles and not and found them liars. And, you know, I could see myself where, you know, I'm a quote-unquote missionary and I would do quote-unquote mis- uh, ministry work. And, you know, I'm always doing this and I'm always doing that. And I'm, I'm going and I'm doing all these things. And, you know, I'm doing the church work. And, you know, you would think, yeah, you know, everything's good. But a thing happens, and I've come to realize is that I left my first love. You're like, what does that mean? That means I'm doing all this service, but my relationship with Jesus Christ isn't what it used to be. Think about it like a marriage. I remember when I first got married, all the things I used to do for my wife. You know, I want to just you know, make sure she's happy. I want to do all these different things. We were in love. My first love, I wanted to do all this stuff, but now that we've been married for six years, how much of that stuff do I still do? How much, how much of that do I, you know, am passionate about doing these things for her or, you know, trying to do all these things? No, I've lost my first love. I've become comfortable. I'm just doing this. I'm, I'm going, kind of going through the motions. I'm just doing this stuff because I know it's right. You know, I'm standing up for the truth. You know, I'm doing all these different things, but I've left my first love, and that's when my relationship with Jesus Christ is not the way that it should be. And I think a lot of Christians will say this. Yes, we're doing all these right things. Um, I, can, you know, I hate evil. I'm, I'm staying away from evil. You know, I'm doing the work in the church. You know, I've been patient with people. And that, you know, people have come up with different doctrines, and I've held them up to it, and I found that they were wrong. You know, I've persevered through bad things, and, and I've labored, and I've not become weary. I'm still doing the work. But where is my personal, serious relationship with Jesus Christ? Not all the works, but my relationship that I just enjoy spending time with Jesus Christ. And so as I was looking at it, this was like the devotion that was up there, was um, on this passage right here. And this is what it says. It says, the way Jesus talked to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 gives us two huge, huge questions we can ask ourselves when we want to check what kind of church we are. The first question is this, am I fired up about the truth? 
See, that's how Jesus evaluates his church. Am I passionate about knowing and obeying the truth? Can we say that's true of us? And I think of it like this. I think about our reaction to sports. I'm a big Michigan football fan. I love Michigan football. I, you know, I was home and I watched it yesterday, and they lost, and I was upset. You know, but as we're watching the game, you can see the passion that I have for it. You know, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching the game and they scored the first score and I'm like, yes, jumping up. My kids love watching me watch sports. Like, I'm the entertainment to them when I watch sports. And so as it's going on, I'm like, yes. You know, they may score and then they scored a touchdown. Yes. The other team scored. I threw a pillow at Byron. And, and, uh, you know, and I told him, I said, if we lose, I'm beating you up. You know? <laughs> and so, um, so like, as we're, as we're going through it, but you can see the passion that I have in it. You know, the, I'm following it. Everything, thing, good things happen. I'm up and cheering. Bad things happen. I'm in disgust. Why didn't they do this? What's wrong? I'm yelling at the TV. I'm doing all this. But I'm all doing that because I'm passionate about the sport. I'm passionate about Michigan football. And then I have to ask my question, myself the question, am I passionate about Jesus Christ? Really? Because I think about it is that every Saturday this football season, I've made sure I've watched every single Michigan football game. And I don't even have cable. So how do I watch every single football game? Well, they usually come on 27, but if they don't, I'm on the internet. I'm watching it on the internet because I'm passionate. I want to, do, I want to see it. I want to be a part of it. I want to see it in real time. I don't want to see the scores and the highlights. I want to see it now because I'm passionate about it. But then I think about it, I think about it then is about how many times am I passionate about making sure that I'm in this? I think about when I first became, when I first um, got saved, I read the Bible. You know, they have the years about reading the Bible in a year. They have the plans, and a lot of people are like, man, that's a lot of reading. I read this in two months. I was just eating this up because I was passionate about it. I had something new. I was like, God can change my life. I was like, I was so just passionate about just knowing what this said because I have just found something that was totally different. I was walking this way, and I was tired of walking this way because I was going the wrong direction. And then so I found God, and I found the love that he had for me. So I turned around and started going the other way, and I was passionate about it. So I was in it. And I would say to Dana, Dana, look what I just learned. I'll come and sit down, and I'll be like, look, I just learned this. This is cool. And then I realized, like, oh, wow, I see now how this in the New Testament hooks up with this in the Old Testament. This is cool, and I'm passionate, and I'm, I'm crazy about it, and I'm just telling everybody, and I want to share Christ with everybody because I'm passionate about it. But I just think about it, just in the last year of my life, how many times have I done that? How many times have I made sure that I did this? Because I know I make sure I watch every football game that came on if I had the power to do it. But I have this at my disposal. I probably have like five of these at my house. How many times am I passionate about making sure I'm in that, that I'm, know, that I'm passionate about knowing and obeying what the truth is. The second question I must ask myself is this, have I fallen away from my first love? See, Christ holds us against us, not in terms of our salvation, but in terms of our relationship. Yes, we believe all the right things, but do we lack the passion about it? You know, were there times in our lives where we were more righteous? Were there times when our sacrifice for the kingdom of God was more obvious? Have we begotten too comfortable? Have we returned to selfish habits? Now, I look at it as my first love in terms of my relationship with Christ. I just go back and I just think about 
the way I felt when I first received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I think about the relationship like that I had that I would be in prayer and I would see things that I see him working and I'll be happy. I would see I would see work happening. I would see different things happening. I was just passionate about it and I wanted to do everything. Do I care? Even if I'm if I make sure I pray and I talk to him and I just spend time, just me and the Lord. Do I even care about that anymore? And I think about that in, in, in our marriage because uh, me and Dana was talking about this over the week and it was about like it's kind of like the same thing about in our marriage is that sometimes in our marriage it could become like we're just partners and we're not married like we're just here living together and we're almost like roommates and not in an intimate relationship that where I'm passionate where I want to spend time with just her yes we have four and a half kids but do I want to just spend time with just her do I want to make time to I'm going to call somebody and say, hey, can you watch my kids for me? I have a whole youth group full of kids that I can ask to watch my kids. But do I make that time to say, come watch my kids so I can spend time with my wife? You know, I, did, I would have done that things when we first met. But how about now? We got uncomfortable. And I think about it as I think about Jesus Christ, which is our first relationship even before my marriage, it's the first relationship, the most important relationship that I can have in my life, do I make sure that I'm going to have time spending, spending time with just him? Making sure that our relationship is right. So before any of my relationships going this way is right, I have to make sure my relationships going this way is right. Yes, we can know all the right stuff, and we can do all the right things, and you know, we can you know, be in ministry, and we can do this, and we can do that. But if our love relationship with Jesus Christ is not right, we're missing something. And so this is what God has against me. And I think a lot of us will fall under this category. That's why I spent the most time on it, because this is the one that, that affected me and stepped on my toes. And I'm going to read those verses again. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience to have labor for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And so what should we do if this is you? And I'm really talking to myself because this is personal for me. What should I do? And and God talks about it in in verse 5. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. And so the thing for my wife to keep me from getting too comfortable is I have to go back and I, remember, I have to go back and I have to examine the beginning. Why did I fall in love with her in the first place? What are the attributes of her that made me just want, want her to be my wife? And when I think about that, then all these things start flooding back and then the passion starts coming back. And the same thing as us, when we talk about Christ, what was it at the beginning that made you want to come to Christ? Go back to the beginning. Remember the start. Remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. So if you fall under this category, if you are the, the church of Andre, and I'm your pastor, and you are my congregation, and we're walking this, if this, if this is you, go back to the first works. Go back to the beginning. Examine why you came to Jesus Christ in the first place. What does he have to offer? How can you get the passion back? I got the passion because... My life was, it was not good. I was going in the totally wrong direction. I could see that I was just tired of life. The question I remember asking myself, there's got to be more than this. 
I remember asking myself that question before I started searching for churches. And if you haven't known the story of my testimony about how that happened and then how God brought me here and, you know, things happened and, you know, me just coming to Christ and just realizing for the first time, this is it. And when I just had that moment of this is it, that's when the passion came. And I just want to just encourage us to go back to the beginning. What is your personal testimony? Where is it that made you say yes to Jesus Christ? Go back to that beginning. And that's where the passion lies. And when we can get that passion back in our individual churches, the passion will be here in this Garden Chapel Church. And if the things that we want to change, and yes, if we want worship to be better, or we want whatever to be better here, we must first realize ourselves, which one of the churches are we? We want to be the revival church or the, the persecuted church, the ones that we just talked about. That's where we want to be. And if none of us are in that category, that's where we're striving. To, that's where we should strive to be. Because we, if we're there, then this church, this garden chapel, this building, that's when this church takes off because this church is made up of all these individual churches that are sitting in this pew. And the only way that we're going to be a kind of church that God can say, this is a church after my own heart, is if we individually, as our individual churches, are churches after his own heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit and his, his convictions, God. I know a lot of us don't like our toes to be stepped on, and we know that it hurts when we look at it and when we feel it, God, but we know that it's for our good. And I just pray, Lord, that, that we take these things, God, and if the, and the Holy Spirit is pricking us, God, I pray that we don't just ignore it or push it off because we want to think better of ourselves, but we're like, no, God, this is where I'm at. Let's be real, and let's just go forward, and let's go back to our first love. Let's do the things necessary so we can honor and glorify you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have a hymn?